0: If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on GigaOM.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing
1: all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome to a new episode of Voices in Data Storage, brought to you by GigaOM. I'm your host, Enrico Signoretti, and today we will talk about storage and containers, but not storage for containers as you may think in storage for Kubernetes we will talk about containers inside storage systems, their benefits and how they can be leveraged to solve some particular infrastructure and application needs. To help me with this topic, I have uh, invited Noam Schender, VP Cloud Solution Architectures at Zadara. Hi Noam, how are you?
0: I'm really well, how are you Enrico?
1: I'm fine, thank you very much for for, uh, joining me today and uh, and also, thank you for uh, bringing this topic uh, to the show. We we had a, a chat a few days ago where you were briefing me on the latest uh, on the company, and uh, and um, you know I totally missed uh, this feature uh, when uh, in in the previous briefings, and I, I thought as Wow, this is great!" And uh, I, I had also an experience in the past with uh, with another startup. Uh, Uh, in in the storage space where they were integrating uh, uh, a sort of serverless uh, uh, approach for their storage and was pretty similar and I always found it uh, compelling for a lot of infrastructure uh, and also you you taught me uh, business cases in this case. So maybe we can start with a little bit of introduction about yourself and Zadara before going into this uh, really, really interesting topic today.
0: Great, Th- thank you for the opportunity to uh, to be here. I'm Noam Shendar, and I've been in the technology industry in, uh, in Silicon Valley for twenty years now. Um, actually, more more than twenty years. Time flies. Started my career at Intel and worked at uh, a number of other semiconductor companies as well, like MIPS Technologies and LSI Logic. Uh, and Zadara is my second startup. Um, We started Zadara in 2011 with an idea. The idea didn't have a name, didn't have a category, so we came up with the title Enterprise Storage as a Service. And what we meant by this is that we thought there could be a way to take everything that is great about the existing enterprise storage solutions by the, the big companies that we all know, EMC and NetApp and IBM and HPE, We recognize that the model with which it was sold was lacking, and also that the technology didn't support any kind of new business model. So the as-a-service piece of enterprise storage as-a-service is providing the storage to the customer flexibly wherever the customer needs with consumption pricing only. So they only pay for what they use, not for what they have. And with the ability to change at any time, we all know that life has surprises. We all know that we need to be able to react to changes. Traditional storage is not good at that. Traditional storage is rigid. We thought of a way to keep all of the capabilities of traditional storage, but offer them in a flexible way that allows growing or shrinking or increasing performance or decreasing performance, adding features, subtracting features, and moving the data, whether it be from on-prem to the cloud or back out of the cloud to the on-premises or even cloud to cloud. Uh, anywhere that the customer wants to be, we, we continue to be them with there if they want us. It's a subscription. If they don't want us, they stop.
1: Okay, so just to recap very, very uh, quickly, so your solution is uh, can be consumed on-premises as well on the cloud, and you provide all the resources, okay, for which your customer can build a, a virtual storage array that has all the characteristics of a primary storage array, and also giving a block, file, and object storage protocols, okay, if I remember well. And... Uh, uh, but they pay only for what they consume, okay? They, can, they just choose how many resources they want, how they want to configure the, the array. So it's, a, it's like a, an array, uh, a traditional array, but actually it's virtual
0: and it's cloud. Is it correct? That's exactly right, Enrico. We have all the capabilities of a traditional storage array, like block and file, uh, and as you mentioned, also object. Uh, In addition to what traditional arrays do, there are the traditional capabilities like snapshots and mirror, remote mirroring, uh, deduplication, compression, all of those things you expect in a traditional array are there. We've extended the capabilities like adding object, like adding the Docker container capability that we'll talk about, and yet we did it in a completely different architecture in order to enable the flexibility uh, that we're famous for. So the architecture is very flexible in terms of the ability to grow or shrink or change the arrays as needed. The architecture is very flexible in terms of the location of the array. The array can go to uh, in, into the cloud or come back out of the cloud or be a hybrid array with part of it in the cloud and part of it on premises. It can even be multi-cloud. And under the hood, the architecture is very different from traditional, arrays because it was not possible to use the traditional architecture to make these things possible, to provide the flexibility that I talked about, to uh, provide the scale that we need to provide, uh, and to provide also multi-tenancy. So we had to think of this like a cloud rather than like an array. And what we did is we created an architecture that has what we call VPSAs. Those are virtual private storage arrays, and each is a standalone software-defined array, and customers can have as many of those as they want, and they're each completely standalone. They're isolated from each other, and they uh, can be managed separately, and uh, they can each be scaled up or down as needed, and they can all coexist without interfering with each other. All All of this is built into the architecture. And then the last great thing about this is we manage all of this on behalf of our customers. We're the ones who designed it. We're the ones in the best position to properly operate this, and we do this remotely at more than 200 locations around the globe, part part of them public cloud locations, part of them private on-premises locations. But regardless, we do all of these uh, with our team who knows best how to run this, and, and therefore we can guarantee the uptime to our customers and our, our track record uh has been an impressive five and a half nines of availability over years and years of operation.
1: Sounds uh, incredible, but uh, uh, what I want to understand better is this uh, uh, container functionality. I mean, it, I mean, when we talked uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I asked you about Kubernetes, your support for containers. So you told me that uh, there is a CSI plugin uh, ready for, for your customer, but actually, uh, there is another feature, okay, that is uh, even more compelling. I mean, a differentiator comp- uh, when compared to uh, other solution, because you can run containers directly in your system. I mean, you can take some compute uh,
0: power and allocate it for containers. Okay. Uh, is it correct? It's, it's exactly correct. And if I go back to the architecture for a moment, the... The way that we guarantee the, multi, the perfect multi-tenancy, the performance isolation, is by providing each VPSA its own dedicated CPU and memory so that its storage stack, doesn't matter if it's file or block or object, runs on dedicated uh, CPU cores and memory so that each of these different arrays doesn't interfere with any of the other ones because they each have their own dedicated resources. And that's true for the drives, too. They're the uh, SSDs and hard drives are dedicated as well. This architecture allows us to do what you just described. We can take additional CPU cores and additional memory and assign those to what we call the, the container engine. And the container engine uh, is a place for customers to run any code that they want that it's that is containerized using Docker uh, with... Performance with a performance level that they can set because the container engine can be sized up or down as needed to add or subtract cores. There's even a free tier of a very small container. It's very good for testing, for example. Uh, and those containers, because they're running inside the VPSA, have extremely low latency access to the storage. There's no need to go over a fabric or, or a network in order to access the storage.
1: So... Um- probably this is the uh, the question that everybody has uh, in his mind uh, at the moment. Why should somebody want such a functionality?
0: There are a number of reasons for this. So one one reason for this is what is generally called in industry hyperconvergence, uh, which is normally thought of as adding storage functionality into servers. We've turned that on its head and added compute functionality into storage. So where the customer wants to simplify some operations by having everything run within the same infrastructure, uh, we enable that in a, in a hyper-converged way, but I would say that looking at our, uh, what our customers are doing with this, that is not the most common reason for doing this. The most common reason for doing this is for automation of repetitive tasks. By having the the storage, uh, sorry, having having the compute so closely coupled to the storage enables two things. One is uh, event driven operations, which I'll get back to in a second, and uh, the low latency that I described. And I'll start with that. The when it comes to repetitive operations, latency can really add up. If I'm doing something a million times and I have to deal with one millisecond of latency, then I have a million seconds. Of, of non-productivity uh, while I perform these operations. And if my math is right, that's about f- uh, 15 minutes of uh, of waiting. The uh, So if I could take that one millisecond and reduce it by a factor of 10, let's say, to 100 microseconds, well, now those 15 minutes are a minute and a half. So that's, that's one very good reason to do this, and that's uh, common among our customers who are doing things like Transcoding or any kind of format conversion on where a bunch of files need to be converted, or customers are doing integrity checks or MD5 checksumming. Those are repetitive operations, and if they have millions of files, that's uh, that's uh, the latency becomes a problem. The other Piece that I mentioned was the automation. Wouldn't it be nice if something happened each time a file was added or modified? So, for example, the MD5 checksum. Wouldn't it be great if, when every time a file was uploaded into, say, an object store, it was uh, an MD5 checksum was generated for it automatically, Um, or vice versa? Maybe every time a a file was uploaded, um, its MD5 checksum was checked to confirm that it was uploaded correctly. What if every file was automatically virus checked? What if, what if every file was automatically transcoded? What, for example, um, a um, a stream media streaming service uploads in one format, and then automatically the additional formats are generated. MP3s into, um, you know, into AA four, for example. So those are those are common use cases among our customers.
1: Right, so we are talking about serverless storage here. I mean, you, you are coupling uh, uh, one of the most interesting features at the very high level of the development stack, which is serverless, with storage, okay? And uh, you're you're making it available to all your customers. And, of course, this is not available only for object storage, but also for files as well as, uh, as blocks, right? Absolutely. So at the end of the day, I have a solution that... Uh, Um, it's totally different from the usual array that I have in production, but it's uh, much more oriented to the application. And as you said, the the use cases are several. Okay, how uh, the end user can deploy these containers on the storage system?
0: They upload the container or containers into our system. So we have a GUI and we have a corresponding API. So all functionality is available both ways, 100% uh, API coverage and 100% GUI coverage. The containers once uploaded are available to be run either on command or, as I mentioned, in an event-driven fashion. So they can be triggered by actions like uh, file uploads or file changes so you you catch all the
1: events that happens in your storage system and you have a messaging system of something to pass the uh, them to to the to the container
0: exactly and this can scale very very large we have uh, customers uh, running millions and millions of containers because they're scaling the system up uh, to serve a lot of uh, end users for example
1: do you have any uh, do you have ever measured uh, the you know the the savings that these customers uh, have by adopting this kind of uh, architecture
0: the the savings can be depending on the use case either productivity savings so things can be done faster and, and the 10x number that I mentioned uh, earlier uh, around latency savings is is a real number so that's based on the customer experience and then the the other savings can be on 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 infrastructure. So here I can tell you an example of a of a customer who's a manufacturer. And you can put this uh, story under the heading of smart factories or smart manufacturing. They manufacture a component uh, that goes into a very, very large number of, of smartphones. And that so which means that the volume of manufacturing is very high. And the the vendors, the, the smartphone manufacturers, need very, very high quality, right? They don't want to deal with uh, returns of defective products. So quality assurance is really important. And what this, uh, what this customer does is it takes very, very detailed pictures uh, of every article, every single article, and uses those pictures both for quality assurance, so they can in real time run analytics and improve the manufacturing process based on what the pictures show, and Keep some of this data later for failure analysis. So if there is an issue, rather than having to recall physical specimens, they can look at these super high resolution pictures and do uh, do the analysis of what went wrong there. Both of those things are productivity uh, enhancements for the customer and cost savings. So the the by uh, by being able to uh, to run these analytics. Uh, on the storage means that there's less infrastructure needed. You don't need f- physical servers. You need less rack space. You need less power to do all of these things. And the, f- the factory floor is typically not a place that has a lot of IT. So space, space, and power matters. Uh, by the way, the fact that we remotely manage it also helps because typically there aren't IT people in the in the factory. Uh, and then, um, and then the ability to uh, to archive the data. Uh, in this case, we archive it to the cloud, to uh, AWS uh, S3, The also is a, is a cost savings because the, you know, the, it's a very affordable storage medium. It's easy to work with. It, again, doesn't require IT on that side. Uh, and, also in, and because it's off-site, that means, again, less space and less power that's being used up in the factory itself.
1: So you talk about use cases that involve millions of containers and, uh, and also you mentioned that you are able to scale up to this kind of numbers, but how do you do that? I mean, uh, as far as I remember, okay, you have a limited set of uh, uh, cores per controllers in, uh, in your solution. So can you scale out? Can you add additional resources on top of the uh, traditional
0: controllers that you use for IO operations? the The way to scale up is the is by, by VPSA and then by, cluster by the size of the cluster, which is made up of what we call storage nodes. So the scale up scale up mechanism is actually, and as you mentioned, we can also add the number of cores. So let me let me start this from the beginning. The way to scale up is first by adding cores, and of course there's an upper limit to that. The next way to scale up is by the VPSA, so each VPSA can have uh, its its container engine of a custom size, and then from there you can scale up by storage nodes, which means that the entire storage cloud is growing. So the those customers who are running millions and millions of containers, they have a, a, a big cloud. Uh, they have a lot of nodes, they have a lot of capacity, they have a lot of VPSAs, and in a lot of container engines. And in total, they have enough compute power to do these gargantuan tasks.
1: So at the end of the day, the solution is very simple. I mean, uh, you uh, give the support for the container so the end user can develop the application on, uh, on any sort of language they they like. Because, uh you just run the containers with a few parameters when the event uh, uh, comes in. So there is no limitation for the for the end user in terms of uh, uh, code or
0: uh, type of containers or or whatever, right? That's correct. They are Linux based containers, so that's that's the only context that the user needs to be aware of, and. Yes, but probably
1: we are talking when we talk about containers, ninety nine point ninety nine percent of the containers are Linux based. Absolutely.
0: Linux-based. So as as expected, they're Linux based containers, and yeah, the there could be arbitrary code in there which can be either custom uh, a custom process that the customer needs to run, like this, uh, like this uh, uh, image and image analysis uh, at the factory. Or it could be a new feature that the customer wants to add to the storage that uh, we didn't include. in a, a simple example is FTP, A customer who asked, do you support FTP? We said, uh, S- sadly, we do not. However, you go to Docker Hub, download an FTP container, use that, and voila, but now, now the storage is able to. Nice. Talk FTP. And
1: uh, do you think uh, customer will ask uh, for GPUs uh, over time?
0: We have not heard this request to date. Uh, it's it's conceivable, especially since I mentioned uh, analytics, and you can you can guess that the analytics are uh, contain some some AI or machine learning. Uh, so it's 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 reasonable to expect that at some point. Uh, I I I wouldn't say that uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't support it, but I'll say that it's not on the near term roadmap because there there haven't been any requests, and there are a lot of Really exciting things that we have uh, heard our customers ask us for, so we are working on those. Like what, for example? So, we generally, don't like to talk about things we haven't released. But an obvious thing that I'm comfortable talking about is support for Kubernetes. Uh, the as in especially as we talk about scaling up uh, containers to very, very large numbers of them. Uh, management uh, paradigm is, is necessary. And the de facto standard for that uh, is Kubernetes. So this is something we're going to be adding to the Zadara container services to make it easier and more streamlined for our customers to take advantage of this pretty cool capability.
1: Okay, I don't want you to spill all the beans today. But actually, and what can we expect next for uh, uh, the
0: entire Zadara system? Again, many cool things that are coming down the pike uh, that I won't talk about to give you something to uh, to work with. I'll I'll mention that uh, many customers are asking us about, uh, and therefore we are implementing NVMe over Fabric. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a it's a necessary improvement, and I think it's it's really beneficial uh, in terms of the internal latency of the system. If you look at our history, it's pretty cool. The we started with iSCSI Interconnect, which is very well understood, but does not have great latency. And in order to improve the latency while maintaining the iSCSI compatibility, we went to ICER, which is iSCSI extensions over RDMA, and or for RDMA. And that reduced our latency by a factor of three, which is really amazing, while using exactly the same Ethernet switches that we were using before. So using native Ethernet, and using IKy primitives, still we are uh, improving latency by a factor of three. And we expect with Nvme over fabric to do that again. So get squeeze another three x of latency improvement out of the system. Um, and and by the way, in case any of our listeners are are asking themselves, uh, do we do we support Nvme drive since I mentioned Nvme over fabric? And, and the answer is yes. Uh, and we do that in our all-flash array. The NVMe drives are the high-speed tier that we use for both caching and metadata. Uh, and as you know, for deduplicated systems, uh, metadata access is critical, is in, in the critical path. And therefore, really fast access is is necessary in order to provide high performance, so that is why we chose NVMe for uh, for that tier of storage. Whereas NAND flash, uh, standard with uh, SAS or SATA connectors, is uh, is what we do for the capacity for the flash based capacity.
1: Fantastic, and um, and again, ju- just to wrap up a little, uh, I uh, really loved chatting with you about storage for containers, or even better. Uh, containers uh, uh, into the storage system, okay, in a serverless fashion. And what, uh, uh, where our listener can find more information
0: uh, on the web about this functionality? A number of places, so the, I, w- I will list a number of them. Our homepage is zadara.com. Zadara is spelled with all A's, Z-A-D-A-R-A. If you're listening in the UK, Z-A-D-A-R-A. The the next place to go is our LinkedIn. You can simply search for Zadara uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, We have a Twitter feed at Zadara, and if you want to see my personal Twitter feed, it's at Noam Shen. Uh, That's the uh, my first name is N O A M, and the first four letters of my last name S H E N together Noam Shen. All of those are good. sources of information about what we're doing. We have a nice blog on our website and we have a lot of resources, real world case studies from actual customers, white papers, uh, technical briefs, and a lot of webinars. We record a lot of webinars and we have them nicely organized on our website, uh, including 15 minute uh, tech tips that we uh, think we recorded 40 of them uh, to really focus in on specific features rather than rather than talk too much so if you're looking for little little tidbits that's the place to go
1: and uh, is there any possibility to try the your solution
0: absolutely we love having our customers try before they buy they can do this either through our own website there's a free trial button that leads to a registration we just need uh your uh, legitimate email address, uh, and then you can you can go ahead and set up uh, your trial. Uh, you can also do this through the AWS Marketplace. Uh, search for Zadara on the AWS Marketplace, and you will find our solution there. Uh, this links links our our solution to AWS's billing system. So if you want to consolidate uh, your billing, and we we enable a free trial there for you as well. Uh, and uh, Google Cloud Marketplace, you can find us there as well. Very similar setup there. Okay. Many places then.
1: So thank you very much again for your time today and bye-bye.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Unstructured Data Management is the focus of a report Enrico wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.